You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to our sermon text for this morning, which is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. I'm really thankful this morning that God has, in his wisdom, left certain hints or shadows of spiritual truths in the physical world. One of the places that I see this show up is uh, just in the fact that it can be helpful for us as Christians to read books on motivation or books on leadership or, for some of us, books on business. Because it seems like the Lord has allowed for certain spiritual truths to have their, their essence expressed out in the physical world. This world that he has made uh, united together as, as one place uh, that uh, works together. And uh, I think that's a helpful thing for us because I so often find these truths expressed out in the world. On January 26th, 2020... Hall of Fame basketball player Kobe Bryant and his daughter died in a tragic helicopter crash. And uh, not long after that, during a memorial service, the greatest basketball player of all time, uh, without question by anyone, Michael Jordan, spoke at his funeral. And one of the things that stood out to me, which captures that idea of spiritual truth just being present out in the regular world, is something that he said about Kobe Bryant. He was describing the relationship that he had with Kobe and how often Kobe would call him in the middle of the night, 11.30, or he would text him at 2.30, 3.30 in the morning, and he was wanting to talk about basketball. He wanted to talk about footwork and rebounding, and sometimes he wanted to talk about the famous triangle offense that the Chicago Bulls ran in the 1990s. And then he said this, describing Kobe Bryant. Michael Jordan said, if you love something, if you have a strong passion for something, you would go to the extreme to try to understand or to try to get it. Let me say that one more time. Listen carefully to these words because they they translate well into a significant part of the center of the Christian life. If you love something, if you have a strong passion for something, you would go to the extreme to try to understand or to try to get it. This is similar to what we are doing in our church throughout this series in the book of Philippians, is that we are trying to raise in our church a renewed passion for the happiness of Christ in the gospel. Something that has largely across the the church in recent decades or perhaps even the last century has been almost lost. That we give very little thought To how and why Jesus Christ makes his people happy. And we want to recover that. We want to to have a passion for this. A passion for the gospel. So this morning we have an opportunity to do this by breaking down in this text, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. A kind of three-part focus that we see reflected from the life of the Apostle Paul in his writings to the Philippians in this text. And so my hope is that for all of us, you and for me as well, that thinking about this three-part focus may help us do that very thing. 
to focus in on what's most important and to echo in our lives, even, it sounds strange to put it this way, even the words of Michael Jordan, that we would become increasingly the kind of people who will go to extreme lengths to try to understand and to try to get this happiness and joy that is offered to us in Christ through the gospel. So here's the first part of the three-part focus of the Apostle Paul. Paul models for us and he extends or offers to us in this text a focus on something that we, we typically call the already but not yet. Uh, many of us have heard that language before because that's, that's the way that we understand from the Bible and even from our experience as Christians what this moment in the Christian life is like. We are somewhere between the already of what Christ has done for us, living, dying, rising again. For those of us who are here today who are Christians, he has called us to himself by his sovereign grace. He has done a work only he can do all by himself to change our hearts and minds, to open our eyes and unstop our ears so that we can hear the powerful message of the gospel, the announcement of good news of forgiveness and redemption and relief and comfort and happiness in Christ through the gospel. And yet we're also in between the already and the not yet. We're not quite there yet to the, to the end of this race that God has marked out for us as Christians. And so Paul gives us this focus on the already and the not yet over and over again in the places that he writes about this to us. Listen to verse 12 alone. He says, not that I have already grasped it or have already become perfect, but I press on if I may take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things that we want to avoid um, in our church and in our lives is overdoing or wearing out those rich, helpful gospel cliches that, that come to us over time in the church. You know, one of those has been recently the thought of being gospel-centered. We talk about being gospel-centered all day long, every day, and sometimes it loses its sheen or it loses its, um, what well, seems like it loses its power because it becomes so familiar to us. This, of course, is another one, living in the already but not yet. But what we want to do, rather than moving on from that and trying to find some other way to talk about the Christian life, we do better to refresh that in our own hearts, to refresh what that means and to be reminded of, of why has it become an important thing for us to talk about this experience of the already and the not yet in the Christian life. We want to give it some bright color, freshen it up, similar to how it would be maybe in your house or, you know, if you were going in the doctor's office and they recently had, had painted all of the walls and freshened up all the baseboards, as soon as you walk in, you notice something's different. Well, we want this to happen for us this morning and every morning that the gospel would be routinely refreshed for us so that we could refresh our view of our, our position in Christ by looking at it again and again and again. That's what we'll do this morning, noticing first this focus on the already and the not yet. Hear it again, just to refresh it in our minds and to set the context as we move to the second two parts of his focus, that in verse 12 he says that he knows he has not already grasped it all. 
He is on the road of redemption, of course, because Christ has saved him and he has called him into his covenant family and he's moving forward in the faith and in really amazing ways, but also very normal ways, just like we do. And yet he knows that he's not there yet. This is one of the amazing realizations about the Apostle Paul and other figures like him in the Bible. Because so often, rightly so, we as Christians, we look at people like the Apostle Paul and we put them on such a pedestal. We, we imagine that they could do no wrong. We imagine that they have it all figured out, that they must be some kind of elite Navy SEAL type Christians who know all the right moves at all the right times and they know all the right truth and they never struggle. But that's certainly not the experience of the Apostle Paul. And that can be a great refreshment to us, a great encouragement to us, because you and I know that we are not at the end. We've not attained to all of the Christian life yet. We've not reached the end of the race. You, you know that. You feel that. You have had moments in the past week that you have failed to trust God. You've had moments when you were in conflict with someone else and you, you felt a kind of anger and hatred kind of welling up in your heart over this person. You have, you've squandered time on, on frivolous things rather than remaining focused on what's most important and so have I. And so has the Apostle Paul. And so he comes to us with these words and such a reminder and an encouragement to me, a comfort to me that, that even the Apostle Paul understands what I'm going through when I realize I have not already grasped it all. I have not become perfect. I need God to continue working on me. But then he gives us this incredible charge and, and motivation and direction in the very next clause of that verse, he says, but I press on. If I may take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He's refreshing for us again the already and the not yet for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to press on. And the only way to press on is to maintain this focus that Paul has because we, we can't lose either one. We can't become one-dimensional Christians where we only think about one part of our lives. Either the already looking back to what Christ has done and, and not looking forward to what is to come. It will, it will rob us of a significant part of the Christian life and the Christian motivation and the hope and the joy and the happiness that we have in Christ. We can't forget what, what, what Christ has done for us and simply look forward or we miss out on, on the real heart of the gospel and, and his suffering and his sacrifice and his resurrection for us. Again, we, we lose a significant dimension of the Christian life. And so Paul is modeling for us a very careful, intentional focus on the already and the not yet. The, the daily reminder that this is where I am and I need both in my life. I need them both intentionally in my life. I believe this is something that was true to the life of the Apostle Paul. I believe that it is one of the reasons why we tend to hold him up and we, we see God at work in his heart is that he kept these two truths in a kind of tension. He kept them before his eyes and he kept them in a single-minded way. Paul's life and worldview 
had been reduced down to the very essence. And of course, there are, like for all of us, these other competing focal points, these other competing pressures and, and, and allurements of the world and, and other ambitions to try to steal our focus away. And, and certainly, I think Paul struggled with that. But nevertheless, here's what he's modeling for us is a focus that returns over and over again to keeping clearly before our own hearts and eyes the already and the not yet. A clear understanding of where we are. He knew, like we do, that he had been as we have been laid hold of by Christ for something he then strains toward. But the key here that I want you to see is the focus. He understands where he is and he understands it specifically. And therefore, perhaps the first application of, of these words of Paul into our own lives would be simply this, that we all could use a little more distillation to distill down our own life and worldview to what is important. If we're ever living in a point in history when distractions abound, it's right now. We might be living in the most difficult period of history for focus. Even just Instagram and TikTok alone gobble up so much time and focus for so many of us, myself included, that we need the reminder to distill down our life and worldview to what's most important. That's what the word focus means. If, in fact, that is most important. And it is. It's most important to us. But the question comes back again. How important is it? Is it important, in the words of Michael Jordan, that it is something that we love so much and we have such a strong passion for it that we would go to the extreme to try to understand and to try to get it? One of those extremes must be refocusing down to the main thing. There are lots of secondary things, lots of tertiary things, but the main thing must become and stay the main thing. This is the first part of his focus, is that the main thing is knowing where he is in the redemptive story of the gospel so that he can both remember what Christ has done and he can look forward to what Christ has planned and in this moment, he can give his life away as he's talked about to pour out his life like a drink offering because that is the path to ultimate joy and happiness in Christ and ultimate glory for him now and in the end. But here's the second part of his focus is that he doesn't just focus on, on where he is in the story or the story at large, but he focuses in on moving forward. This is the second part of focus on moving forward. Looking at verse, just verses 13 and 14. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet. He's repeating what he just said. But one thing I do. Now, if you're going to highlight something in this verse, I would highlight that. 
one thing I do. These are the words of focus. These are the words of someone who has distilled his life and worldview down to what is most important. And he is commending to those who read his letter, what is it that you should focus on beyond all else? What is the thing that you should clear out all of the distractions from so that you can focus in on what's most important? One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, he's talking about his life, he's talking about his, his sort of spiritual resume, his accomplishments, that, that is a list of those things that he previously took pride in and sort of pumped himself up or esteemed himself because of these things that he did, the way that he lived. And instead, reaching forward, he says, to what lies ahead. Verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, as important as it is to live in the moment, to be present, does not live with a focus on the present only. He is striving forward toward the prize. He has in his mind this ultimate goal of the Christian life. There is something to be gained. He calls it a prize. That's, that's a helpful word. That, that's a word that, that we use some. Perhaps another word that goes along with that is the word treasure. We see that the Apostle Paul has moved forward in the Christian life. Not by mere discipline. Not by the threatenings of the law. He has moved forward joyfully in the Christian life. By the concept of a treasure, he is moving forward seeking something to gain. And we want to know what that is. But notice first that it is this treasure that moves him forward. Small treasures will move you forward in small ways. Shallow or trivial treasures will move you forward in shallow and trivial ways. But the ultimate treasure, which is the treasure Paul is talking about here, will move you forward in the ultimate way. Now, just putting it that way brings back to your mind and mine the issue of focus. How many shallow, trivial treasures are moving us forward in shallow, trivial ways every day? How many small treasures, because we have become too easily satisfied by these good things that they promise us good hope and comfort and enjoyment, a kind of happiness, but they're moving us forward in small, paltry, comparatively meaningless ways. We're receiving here in this text a repeated refrain, a calling back over and over again to focus in on what is the ultimate treasure. To quote a popular book title, if you don't, 
if you don't focus in on the ultimate treasure of the world God has made, you will waste your whole life. You will reach the end and you will look back and you will realize it's gone and it was a waste. How many millions, tens, hundreds of millions of people in the world, how many, hopefully a small number, maybe tens of thousands of Christians, Christians, are in this moment, on this morning, sitting in worship services like this, wasting their lives on what doesn't matter, what doesn't last, shallow, trivial, small, easily pleased treasures. It is the tragedy of the world because Paul says, no, one thing I do, I strain forward, I press forward, I reach forward to what lies ahead for the goal of the prize. This treasure language, this treasure picture, these kinds of illustrations, similar to the memorial service of Kobe Bryant and those words that come through and they, they take on greater meaning as we see them in light of the gospel, is so important and so helpful to us. It's another kind of common grace gift that, that, God would, would, uh, that God would place something in his world like a treasure hunt to begin with because it, it helps to illustrate for us as his creatures what does it look like to be on this kind of a quest, in this kind of a race? Paul is using that, that language as well, a treasure hunt or a race toward the finish line all because there is a prize at the end. We could tell hundreds and hundreds of different stories throughout history about treasure hunts and to remind ourselves of what this is like. One, one was a treasure hunt for the Nuestra Señora de Atoca, which was a, a, a ship that was, that was carrying a Spanish galleon, carrying enormous wealth that, that sank off the coast of Florida in 1622 carrying immense treasure of gold and silver, emeralds, other valuables. From the New World back to Spain in the 1960s, a treasure hunter named Mel Fisher became determined to find this treasure. And so he set out for, for years and years doing all of the necessary research of historical records and conducting extensive underwater surveys, even battling legal challenges to obtain the salvage rights. And then, and then finally, Fisher's team discovered the wreck on July 20th, 1985, over 360 years after it sank. And the find was an extraordinary moment, a treasure, $450 million in treasure, lost at the bottom of the sea for 300 years years until someone became determined and made it his one thing to do to strain forward to have that treasure 
But as with all of these earthly examples being informed by our gospel that we know in our Christian lives and giving it, giving it better light and clarity, we know this. The prize that Paul is straining toward is not earthly possession. It's not a, it's not a well-paying job. It's not some kind of fortune that, that necessarily brings ease and comfort and wealth in this life. But he is straining forward to something that is far, infinitely more valuable, and that is the prize of the upward call. He is talking about an absolute, God-glorifying, unending happiness in Christ. That's what he's straining forward to gain. This is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He is straining forward to the full and ultimate grasp of the prize. Now, this is one of the hard things in the Bible to, to, to nail down because it, it doesn't seem in just the cursory reading of it to be clear. What is the prize? The prize is Christ himself. That's why he's saying, I haven't yet attained it yet. I haven't reached the end when all will be brought to fruition and everything will be tied together and I will be finally and fully united with my Savior, he being my prize. He's the one who delights my heart. He's the lover of my soul. He is all that my life is worth. But this is the prize that he is moving forward toward. And this is the prize which no other prize in the world can ever compare with. Therefore, Paul strains forward to the full grasp of Christ. Why is he venturing into the bottom of the ocean? Why is he giving ultimate focus and, and research of historical documents like Mel Fisher, why is he battling against all of the pressures that would keep him back in this race from reaching the finish line? Because the prize is ultimate, and he has already begun to grasp it. He already belongs to Christ. That's the already, but he is straining forward toward what is ahead. He talks about this a lot here. Two other passages just to help kind of clarify this picture so that maybe, maybe with God's help, you and I could get a better sense of this, that we could, we, could, we could follow in those steps a little more firmly. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, do you not know that in a race, this is one of the, you know, uh, favorite analogies that Paul uses. In a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, he says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, 
lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Do you hear the the language of focus? It raises so many questions for us about the way that we are running. And these questions are not meant for for any of us to to be shamed by or or to walk away discouraged. Because every person in here knows you're not running the race as you could. That's, that's just not possible. There's always something else that you could be doing. And the point is not keep doing more. But the question is here because it has to do with the motivation of our hearts. It has to do with the focus of our minds. Where are you going? Why are you running? Are you disciplining yourself for real purpose or are you just you're just beating the air he also says in second timothy chapter four using another favorite analogy of a fight he says i have uh, fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You're getting a clearer picture of what Paul sees. How does he see the world and his life? What is he looking at when he looks down the the years of his life as much as he can to the finish line? What does he anticipate? What is the prize? What is the ultimate happiness that any person can know. It is at the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is one of the most challenging passages in the Bible. Because it's striking at the heart of what all of us struggle with every single day. Focus. We need focus. So there's the second focus. A focus on moving forward in the midst of the already but the not yet. He presses on. This is what we should be doing. If you want to write down something to focus on this week, it's this. Press on with your eyes on the prize. That might be the greatest American cliche ever invented. The way that it rhymes, the way that it keeps the treasure in front of us, the way that it helps us to imagine what's most important about our focus, the way that we see where we're going and what the Christian life is like. And therefore, we want to press on with eyes on the prize. Why? Why should you keep your eyes on the prize? Because if you love something, if you have a strong passion for something, you would go to the extreme to try to understand and to try to get it. This is what I'm challenging you to do. This is what I'm, I'm being challenged to do. Go to the extreme to understand Christ. And to have him, the way Paul talks about having him in the end. And then there's one more bit of the focus here, another part of this focus that we we don't want to leave out. And it is also a focus 
on present perfection. It again is a return in Paul's mindset to this present moment and what it means. He's not just going through the motions every day, but the way that he sees his present ties together the already and the not yet as they're kept in tension and pulled into the middle. It changes the way he lives every moment of this present by a focus on his present perfection. Look at verses 15 and 16, the last two verses for this morning. He says, therefore... All who are mature. He is talking about a mature attitude. He is calling the church up out of the immaturity that brings on such distraction in life to a maturity that focuses in eyes on the prize. All who are mature, let's have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. He is is marking out what our ultimate hope is and the seriousness of God in this focus that if there's any other distraction, those who are mature, if you are in tune with the Lord, if you are seeking him and there is some part of your life or your worldview that is out of step with his truth, he will show you that because he is committed to moving you forward toward the prize. He wants you to have it. He is giving it to you. He says, however, in verse 16, let's keep living by the same standard or truth to which we have attained. He's calling that focus to the present moment, not to get lost looking back, not to get lost looking forward, but in the present moment, bringing both together, knowing that this is the golden hour. This is the moment that matters. I can't and I don't need to change anything about my Christian past. I can't and I don't need to change anything about my Christian future. But the question is now, what is to be happening today? And here's the great reminder. Here's the great motivator, the the enormous encouragement that he gives. That you're already perfect. In this moment, it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're sinless. It means that in Christ, you have been captured. You belong to him. He cares for you. He has assured you of reaching the finish line and reaching ultimately the prize. And therefore, because of what he has done and who you are today in his kingdom, you can move forward. And you can move forward with joy. This present perfection, this present truth, this present moment of God's help It is the high-octane fuel of the Christian life. It's not simply what will be. It's not simply what has happened. It's what is true now. The ultimate hope of the Christian life is that right now, I belong to Christ. Right now, he will not let me go. Right now, he is flooding my life with grace and help. Even when I don't see it, right now, he is comforting and correcting and loving and motivating and willing and working and all the rest right now. That's the the high-octane fuel of the Christian life. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't have any idea what high-octane fuel means. 
I don't know what that means. I hear people say that. I just said it. I don't really know what it means. Other than it's fuel that has a certain nature to it. It has a certain additive to it that allows for the engine that, that uses it to create more power. For there to be, there'd be greater power of burning the fuel on the course toward the finish line. And that's why the gospel in the present moment of our security in Christ and his covenant promises at work in this moment are high-octane fuel. We've been made to burn on that high-octane fuel. That's another reason why we have to have this focus, right? You're catching all of this. Because if we are off somewhere else fueling our life with other motivations and other ambitions and other promises and other hopes and other people... You're burning fuel that doesn't go in your engine. No wonder you're not moving forward. No wonder you're not happy. No wonder you're full of anxiety. No wonder you fight with people all the time. And I do too. Until. Until the fuel of the gospel catches fire. And it becomes what we are looking to, to motivate us and to move us forward, to give us power in the Christian life for living this life. That's why Paul draws attention back to the present moment and the present reality that Jesus Christ has already secured us. He did not come to make our salvation possible. He came to secure it for us, and he has given it to us, and no one can take it away. And with that constant reminder of the good news flooding over us and into us, it brings everything into view. Everything becomes clear. I remember when I was in Little League Baseball, they would never let me be a pitcher. Um, I, I just did not have enough precision, but I tried and I learned the trick. I just could never do it. And the trick was, when you're standing on the mound and you're looking at the catcher's mitt, you have to look so intently at it that everything else goes out of focus. And as you wind up and as you throw, you must keep that focus. That line of sight has to remain right on the pitcher's glove, uh, in the catcher's glove. If you look anywhere else, you're going to hit somebody. <laughs> I'm looking right back at that wall. I'm looking right back at the chair that's empty, right in the middle. And I can't see anyone else's face, really. It's all a blur. This is what the gospel does. This is what the focus does. This is the way that you have to live the Christian life. Because if you're looking all around at all these other things, eye off the target, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So he keeps our focus on the present moment of our present Savior at work presently in our lives. Let's break it down, and then one last application. He says, as many as are perfect or mature, every Christian is in one sense perfect in this moment. That, that should be an enormous comfort to us. That should and can take away our fears that everything is okay because we belong to Christ now. And he wants us in these verses to have the treasure attitude and to maintain it. That's why he says, keep living. 
Keep focused. Keep the treasure attitude and mentality. Keep your eyes on the glove. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the the present reality of Christ in you. And keep living that present standard of settled treasure focus. Here's one simple way that we may be able to grow in this even just this week. We have to find ways to hold it out in front of ourselves. Often that comes by way of just natural reminder. Do you ever talk to yourself? You need to start talking to yourself if you don't. Every day, you need to tell yourself the truth. And I don't mean that figuratively or metaphorically. I mean that literally. You should look in the mirror and you should tell yourself the truth with God's help, with a heart that is committed to him, even asking him in the moment, God, remind me of this truth. Rush, be reminded of this truth. And here's just one. There there are millions of them. We need all of them. Tell yourself tomorrow morning when you wake up, the ultimate treasure is in hand. The ultimate treasure is already in hand because Christ has taken hold of you and he has given himself to you and he is the treasure. So tell yourself, today you have the treasure in hand and you simultaneously have the treasure to seek. They're one and the same. We are seeking what we already have. That's one of the most amazing things about the Christian life is that even though you already have Christ, you still are seeking him on this path of joy and happiness in him. Therefore, those are the two things that we must be doing every day. Holding and seeking. I'm trying to put this into basic terms because I'm a basic person. I need them in basic terms. I'm not, I don't do well with a big long list of all the things I've got to do and, and a big, big diagram to figure out. I need something basic and this is it. Hold Christ and seek him. Hold Christ and seek him. Look again at verse 13 as we come to a close. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it completely yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Why? Because if you love something, if you have a strong passion for something, you would go to the extreme to try to understand or to try to get it. And in Christ, you will have it. It's the joy of the Christian life. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the beauty of grace is that we have it and we will have it and we want to seek it. That begins by coming to faith in Christ to begin with. So it could be that you're here today on the live stream. We say this every Sunday because it is important. You must come to Christ. You must repent of your sin. You must place your trust in him. If you want to lay hold of the prize, he is the prize. So come to him. His arms are out in the gospel. He is welcoming you just as he has welcomed me. Sinners like us belong with him. He welcomes us. So come to him. Embrace him as he embraces you. 
And those of us who have been laid hold of by Christ, this is what we need. This is what we need. We need focus. Focus on what's most important. Let me invite you to stand with me as we prepare to sing again. And we pray. I'm going to pray for us. And specifically ask God to to give us what we need so that we can focus. Because we know how difficult this is. Our Father, this morning we come to you with these words of Scripture on our hearts and in our minds and in many ways ringing in our ears as we, we look into the mirror of your word and we see in ourselves so much distraction. We see in ourselves so many other, many good things vying for our attention. So many other good things getting our attention. God, we pray that you would give us a focus. That you would narrow our view. That you would distill down our life and world view to the thing that is most important. That our eyes could be on the prize. That our our hearts could be in search of the treasure which is Christ. And we pray that by your grace, the, the reminder would come to us over and over again that we do belong to you, that we are with you now, and that Christ belongs to us. We, we have him in hand, and yet we have not come to grasp him completely yet, but we long for the day, because that's the day of ultimate joy, ultimate happiness, ultimate glory in your kingdom. And we want to know more of that in this life, in this present moment. So God, please help us. We are in such desperate need of your mercy, of your help. And we are grateful and we praise you and glorify. I magnify you today because you are working more than we imagine. You are working now in us and we give you thanks. We pray for you to continue and to draw us up and out of ourselves and our little kingdom, our little world our little world view so that we can we can see that our gospel is too small and we want to see it bigger help us in this today help us to focus on what's most important in Jesus name amen